So, Lord, as we go through this, we just pray that you administer your comfort to us. But, Lord, also stirring our hearts to be a light to others. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you were with us last week in our study in chapter 8, the, the seventh seal uh, is open up in heaven. You recall in chapter 6, chapter 6 through 19 is that period of time that's seven years long. It is formally called Daniel's 70th week. We get that from Daniel chapter 9, that there's still a seven-year period that we see that God's going to be dealing with the Jews. He's going to be dealing with those who dwell on the earth. That's a term when you read in the scriptures of non-believers. He's going to be pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. And you recall that that seven-sealed scroll began to be opened up in chapter 6 that begins that seven-year period and goes through uh, chapter 19. At the end of seven years, called the tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week, is when Jesus Christ is literally going to come back physically to this earth. We're going to come back with him. And he's going to establish his kingdom in the millennium reign. That's chapter 20. And then we will see he will create a new heaven and a new earth that we will dwell with him for all eternity. That's chapters 21 and 22. So during this time called the tribulation period, remember that it was Jesus, when he was speaking about this time, when he was speaking about the great tribulation, he said that it will be great tribulation such as the world has never seen nor will ever see again. And we have seen that so far in chapter 6, as the, the first six seals were opened up, that at least a quarter of the earth was killed. And as we went into chapter 7, there was this intermission before the seventh seal was opened up. And it talked about the 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel that are sealed by God that are going to be used to evangelize the world at that time. I believe that the church, that we will be raptured before the tribulation period, that we will be in that scene of chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, that is the heavenly scene. And then the scene changes back to the earth. And with the first seal being opened up, the one who takes center stage in the tribulation period is one called the Antichrist, riding on a white horse. He has a bow. He doesn't have an arrow. He has a crown, and he's conquering unto conquer. So he comes on the scene. We know from Daniel particularly that he's going to come seemingly as a peacemaker. He's going to be a religious leader, an economic leader. He's going to be a political leader. But then he's also going to be a military leader. So we'll be looking at him uh, most specifically as we continue here through the book of Revelation, as we're going to see what takes place in the middle of that seven-year period. But, but we also saw the tribulation saints that were mentioned there in chapter 7. And in chapter 8, then the seventh seal is opened up, and there was a silence in heaven, you might recall, for about a half an hour. And it was the prayers of the saints that were being offered up before God and an angel would take the censer, filled it with you know, fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And then the seven angels, definite article, the seven angels that stand before God, they would stand up with seven trumpets. They prepared themselves to sound the trumpets. And as these trumpets were sounded, the judgment of God 
came upon the earth. And the first four trumpets that, that we looked at, we know that it dealt with, um, with judgment that would come upon the environment, the judgment that would come upon the earth. The, the first trumpet sounded, and a third of the vegetation was struck and burnt up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the living creatures of the sea were killed. And then the third trumpet was blown, and a great star f- from heaven fell, burning like a torch. John is describing these things. Uh, he's saying that it, it looked like, you know, a, a star from heaven that fell. Uh, he would talk about it looked like a mountain that, that, that fell from heaven as well. And a third of the waters uh, at that time, the third trumpet, were poisoned, the fresh water. And then the fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and the heavens were struck to where a third of the day did not shine, a third of the stars and moon and sun were darkened. And then we ended the chapter in verse 13. Let me read it to you again. And John says that I look and I heard an angel, this is chapter 8, verse 13, flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So in other words, there's still three more trumpets, three more angels that are going to blow their trumpet. And as they do, here it is being told to us that, that all of a sudden this, this angel is flying through the midst of heaven saying in a loud voice, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Three woes that go along with these three trumpet blasts, the last three. The seventh trumpet, when he, uh, angel, blows his trumpet, then there's going to be seven more angels that will stand up, and they will have bowls and vials as they pour out their wrath on a Christ-rejected world. So these last three trumpets are really bad news. When you read that word woe in the scripture, it's not good. They're more intense than the first four trumpets. And we will see that as we move into chapter 9 now, uh, we're going to remember something, and that is this. That those who do not have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it is really woe to them. It is really woe to them. They don't have anything to look forward to. They really don't. Even if they don't see the tribulation period. They face the reality of Hades, separated from Jesus Christ from all eternity. And it is truly woe to them. And here, as we read this, we see how this world is going to come to an end in this period called the tribulation period. And as we do, it really tells us something, how blessed we are as a Christian to have a wonderful future, but also it should touch our hearts to where we have a heart for those who are lost because this is real, and it is woe to them if they don't turn to Jesus Christ. So as we come to our text here in chapter 9, we're going to see the next two trumpet blasts, which will be more severe than the first four trumpets because we're dealing not in that area of the natural, but we're dealing with that area of the supernatural. And and in those last three seals that we looked at in chapter 6, you know, there was a lot of focus on heaven, the cry of the martyrs and the cosmic disturbance, and then the prelude to the seven trumpets as we saw last week. And we're going to see that these last three trumpets will speak of hell in terms of the demonic. So as we read in chapter 9, in verse 1, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. 
So a star fallen from heaven, the text tells us, and it indicates to us that this is not a literal star, but it is a being, an angel, because it says to him. To him was given the keys to the bottomless pit. And the verb tense fallen indicates that he had already fallen. So who is this star that has fallen from heaven? Well, there's different debates on it or, you know, thoughts on it. Some say that it's an evil spirit. Uh, some say that this is actually a good angel. Some have suggested that it is Jesus himself. I don't know why they come to that conclusion. But most, I think, commentators and, and Bible scholars say that this is Satan himself. And as we look at this verse, the one who has fallen from heaven, it, it makes us associate with that, with who? With Satan, of course. Because we know from the scriptures, Isaiah chapter 14 tells us that an angel named Lucifer fell from heaven. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 1. You have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. And then verse, uh, or chapter 14 of Isaiah goes on to tell us how Lucifer who was the worship leader in heaven, that's what Ezekiel seems to indicate to us. When you read Ezekiel chapter 28, speaking of Satan, that he was the anointed cherub, that he was in the garden, and, and the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you. So we're told a little bit about Lucifer at that time in the garden, a worship leader that played sweet music in, in the garden, and he got prideful. And he decided that he wanted to ascend to the throne. He said, I want to be worshipped like God. I want to sit upon the throne. And he would fall from heaven. He rebelled. And he was cast out of heaven. And when we get to chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, it's going to indicate that a third of the heavenly hosts rebelled with him. So we know that as we look at scripture, that Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning to the disciples in Luke's gospel. I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. And Jesus said that right after the 70 were sent out. They were sent out two by two. They come back and they're really excited. Man, we work miracles. We did all kinds of supernatural works. Even the, the demons were subject to us. And Jesus said to them that I saw Satan fall like lightning. And you think, why would Jesus say that? I mean, they come back, they're excited, they work miracles. And, and he said, rejoice in this, that your names are written in the book of life. And it was like Jesus was telling them, listen, don't get prideful. You guys, don't get prideful. I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. He got prideful. And as we look at scripture, we see why pride is, is told to us is such a terrible sin. And we need to be careful of it because what it can do, it can cause us to fall. It, it causes us to be cast down. We know that Proverbs chapter 16, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. We can go through scripture and we can see how pride really did in a lot of people. And even David, he was forgiven. And we're forgiven when we become prideful as we belong to the Lord. But what it did, you know, to the nation as the Lord would bring that plague to the nation because he counted the people. And we talked a little bit about that recently in one of our studies. But the, the sin of pride and arrogance is such a serious sin because it was a sin that caused Lucifer, now called Satan, the fall from heaven to be cast out of heaven 
So many suggest that this is Satan himself. And, and as I said, others have said that this is a good angel sent by God to open up this bondless pit for the purpose of judgment. But the star has fallen. And so if it is Satan, notice that he is given the key to the bondless pit. Now we have the mindset because we, you know, read the comic strips. We have the cartoons. You know, the jokes about Satan that he lives in hell, right? And, and he has his throne in hell or, you know, that's where he dwells. He doesn't dwell in hell. He is called the God of this age. He's the prince of the ruler of this age. And as in Job, when he stands before the Lord as the sons of God would there present themselves, that the Lord asked him, where have you been, Satan? No, oh, going to and fro across the whole earth. Oh, have you considered Job? And he said, yes, I've considered him. I've studied him. I know about him. And he's considered you. Because he wants to get a foothold into your life. He's a destroyer. He's a liar. He wants to bring you down. He wants to wipe you out. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your ministry. He considers us. So as we, you know, hear those jokes, remember this, that he will be his victim, not the ruler. So a key is given to this, this being that is given at a specific time for a specific purpose of God's plan. So this being, whether evil or good, I personally think that this is Satan himself. And notice that he was given the key. Um, as we go through the book of Revelation, I want you to notice something. He was given the key. This is for the sovereign purpose of God at this time. We will read concerning the Antichrist, who's directly influenced by Satan himself, that we will read that he, it was granted uh, unto him authority to the dragon who is Satan himself. It was granted unto him authority. In other words, don't give Satan too much credit. And he is allowed to, to take this key for God's purposes, and he is going to open up this bottomless pit. And, and what the bottomless pit, it might read in your translation, the abyss or the shaft of the abyss. And you might be thinking, what is the abyss? It's a Greek word, abuso. Now, a couple of verses or a couple uh, texts in the scripture to help us to understand. You might recall in that story of Luke chapter 16, if you read it, that Jesus told a story. A lot of scholars believe that is not a parable, but it's actually a story. The reason that they believe it's not a parable is because in none of the parables that Jesus gives in the Gospels, in Matthew and Luke and, and Mark, does he name names. But in this story here, he talks about Lazarus and the rich man. And, and Lazarus, who was very poor, and the rich man, they both die. Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, and he's there with Abraham. And then there's a chasm, and then on the other side was the, the, the place of the unrighteous dead. And that's where the rich man went. And in that story, Jesus talks about how the rich man who's in torment, he looks across that chasm and he sees Lazarus 
with, uh, with Abraham. And he says, hey, Abraham, can you send Lazarus over here to dip his finger in some water to touch my tongue, to cool my tongue? And it was Abraham that said, it's not going to happen. Uh, we can't cross either side. Besides, there's a big chasm that is there. And that's one of the texts that I will use when people will ask me, are we going to know each other in heaven? Well, it seemed like Lazarus was known by the rich man and Abraham was known. Of course we're going to know each other when we get to heaven. So that's not going to happen. And, and we know that as we continue in the scriptures there, that remember in Luke's gospel as well, in Luke chapter 8, when G Jesus and the disciples were in a boat and they went over to that area to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, that was called the area of the Gadarenes. And there was that demon-possessed man, and his name was Legion. He was full of violence. People stayed away from him. He would scream at night. He was tormented, and he had many demons in him. Legion means many. And it was Jesus that would cast those demons out into the pigs. Remember that? And they asked him, please don't send us into the abyss or into the abuso, that, that place for demons. We know that in Jude chapter 6, that the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, that he has reserved into everlasting chains under judgment for the judgment of the great day. We know that Peter in his epistle uh, talks about a prison house. Um, and so the scripture gives us some hints about in the center of the earth, it is believed that is Hades, Gehenna in the Old Testament, Sheol, that before Jesus died for our sins, that when you look forward to the cross as you are in faith and, and remember that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, that you went down through the abyss, through that uh, shaft, the, the chamber that would take you to that place, Hades. And it was two compartments, Abraham's bosom. You might recall uh, that it was Jesus that told the thief on the cross before the sun has set, you'll be with me in paradise. So there is Abraham's bosom or paradise. And we know from Ephesians, it tells us that before he ascended, he what? first descended. We know that Peter in his epistle also talks about how Jesus went and, and uh, preached to those that were in that prison house. So Jesus descended, went into Abraham's bosom to lead captivity free. Uh, this is what you've been waiting for. You've been waiting for me to die for your sins once and for all because the animal sacrifices could not take away sin. It was only a covering of sin until the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, came and died for our sins once and for all. So that's what we studied very carefully as we're going through the book of Hebrews. So now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So as Jesus would die for our sins, present his blood in the heavenly tabernacle, accept it. Now we have forgiveness of sin. Now we can be in the presence of the Father. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So when a Christian dies now, they go directly to heaven. So that chamber called paradise or Abraham's bosom is empty. We look back to the cross in faith. All right, you got it? Okay, there's going to be a quiz on this, all right? So people get kind of confused. This is what the scripture is telling us. The other side, the, the place of the unrighteous dead, 
they are still there. So when an unbeliever dies, they go through the abyss, somewhere a shaft in the earth, and they go into that place called the place of the unrighteous dead. We will see in Revelation chapter 20 what is called the second resurrection, that they will then be resurrected after the millennium reign, and then they will stand at the great white throne judgment. Now, as we learned on Sunday, you and I as believers, we will stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. We will not be at the great white throne judgment. So I know I've thrown a lot at you, but you can read those verses there and you can kind of put the pieces together. You might remember that John wept in Revelation chapter 5. Remember, he is weeping because there was no one in heaven or on earth or what? under the earth that was worthy to open up the scroll. We know that Philippians chapter 2 verse 10 that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So those demons again in Luke chapter 8 that were in that man they would rather go into the swine but they didn't want to go into that abyss. So somewhere there's a shaft that leads to the center of the earth, the bottomless pit, and it's full of demons that are in chains right now. And where the opening of this bottomless pit is, who knows? And there actually have been some people that have thought to try to find it. I don't know why they would want to try to find it, but I don't think anybody will try to find it. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard... Um, uh, we were sitting around the family. I was telling them a story. Did you ever hear of that in Siberia and, and uh, you guys that work in oil fields? They were drilling for oil, and they were drilling to see how deep they could go. And, and as they were drilling and drilling, they dropped a microphone in, in the pipe, and they could hear screaming. Did you hear that story? If you did, it was made up. Okay. <laughs> There's a couple guys that were non-believers that made that up so they could see how many Christians would actually believe it. And I remember telling the kids that, and they're going, really? That's creepy, you know, and all this stuff. And I said, well, it's not true. So, <laughs> so we don't know where it is. So these angels are so wicked and vile and terrible that they're locked up. We don't fully understand why they're locked up. We know that Jude says they didn't keep their proper domain. You can, again, we can get into a whole study on uh, Genesis chapter 6 and the Nephilims and all of that. Was that a part of it? But they are in chains. They are terrible. And they're in chains until this time. I want to say this. Demons are real, folks. They are real. And you don't want to mess around with the demonic. And you don't want to open up, up yourself to the demonic. To, you know, it's amazing how once in a while I'll talk to Christians that get involved in occultic kinds of practices. They're tarot cards or Ouija boards or, you know, a psychic or something like that. We are told as Christians to stay away from those things because there's demonic influence behind all that. So here comes Satan, which I believe is this being, opens up this bottomless pit, the abyss, the abuso. And verse 2, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. So you knew it was coming. Satan gets the key of the bottomless pit. It's given to him. He opens it up, and smoke comes pouring out like a huge furnace. 
the sun and the air were darkened. Some think that perhaps it's, you know, out of this huge volcano. Um, and maybe that's where the entrance is. We don't know for sure. But these demons get out of the bombless pit. Let's continue reading. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power. The scorpions of the earth have power. So what are these locusts coming from this smoke as the abyss is opened up? All John could do is tell us that these demons, what they look like. These are not locusts like what we know. This is demonic. They are locust looking. They have a sting of a scorpion. Let's continue reading verse 4. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, verse 6 tells us, men will seek death and will not find it, and they will desire to die, and death will flee from them. You can see why the angel said, woe. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Now, locusts, they're known for going in, locust infestations, um, and wiping out an area. Some scientists, they, well, they tell us that there's up to 20,000 species or subspecies of locusts. That includes grasshoppers, subspecies, crickets, cicadas. You know cicadas. You hear cicadas. You know it's late summer when you hear the cicadas. I, I used to get really stressed out when I was a kid hearing the cicadas in late summer because I knew school was going to start pretty soon. <laughs> So, you know, that's all in, you know, kind of the subspecies of locusts. Some species of locusts in the world are nearly a foot long. Can you imagine that? With a wingspan of about 20 inches. Now, scorpions, you know about scorpions, they sting. Found in desert areas usually. Has anybody ever been stung by a scorpion? Yeah, it, it hurts. I hear it hurts. I've never been stung by one. And um, there's actually scorpions in Africa that if they sting you, they'll uh, kill a small child with their sting. So here are these, you know, they come out and um, they're not allowed. These, these locusts uh, with the sting of a scorpion, uh, demonic uh, beans come out. They're not allowed to eat anything green um, like locusts do. When you read Amos chapter 1, Amos in the Old Testament, that's only three chapters long. Uh, when it opens up, it talks about this locust infestation that was going to come upon Judah because of their sin. And, and Amos talks about chewing locusts and swarming locusts and crawling locusts and consuming locusts, eating the wheat and barley and fig trees and palm trees and vineyards. They're just eating everything up. There's nothing left. Here we see, and, and then Amos, what he does is he then ties it in, looking forward to the day of the Lord. And he describes that in chapters 2 and 3. So here, they're not allowed to eat green things like locusts do, but they sting and torment men for five months. And we are told only those who are sealed on their foreheads by God are, are exempt from this. So that tells us only the 144,000 that are sealed that we saw in chapter 7 
were exempt from this torment. Now the debate goes, what about the tribulation saints? We know that we as believers, that we are sealed by God, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians tells us that twice, and 2 Corinthians tells us that. They were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So there's a debate, you know, what about the tribulation saints? But we know that these demons are going to be unleashed. We, we know that it just tells us that those who have the seal of God on their foreheads, and they torment men, sting a man for five months to the point where people will want to die. And they won't be able to. And I think verse 6 is one of the most amazing, to me, baffling verses for a long time in all of Scripture, that death takes a holiday. Men will try to die, but they will not be able to find it. I don't fully understand it. But I believe what is being said here as we look at this, that it is in context of these locusts coming and tormenting men for five months, stinging them. And, and it's kind of like, have you ever been so sick that you're just going, oh, I wish I would die? And, and they wish that, you know, they would die, but they're not permitted to kill anyone. So they continue to be tormented. I think that's the context of what is being said here. That men wish to die, but they can't. They, they want to die because of the torment. And as we read this, we think, and people, you might be here for the first time at Calvary Chapel, and we just happen to be in this chapter, this heavy chapter, and you might be thinking, I thought God was merciful and good and gracious. He is. And I even think that he's being merciful here to some extent. You say, how do you mean? You know, what do you mean? How can you say that, Pastor Jeff? Because these that are dwell on the face of the earth, being tormented for five months, there's no escape. It's like the Lord is saying that, that, that I am showing you that you can turn to me. And at the end of the chapter, we're going to see that people refuse to repent from their sin. And if you think that being tormented for five months is bad, what about being tormented for all eternity? That he's trying to get them to turn back. Just as in Judah, the locust infestations would come and eat everything to try to get the people to call upon the Lord and turn back to the Lord. And as hard as that might be to kind of comprehend, it's like the Lord is saying, listen, that eternity is a whole lot worse than five months of being stung by these demonic beings being allowed to do that. As hard as it is, as bad as it is, being tormented. There's Lazarus in that place saying, or the rich man saying, send Lazarus over to touch my tongue with cool water. I can't imagine what it would be like to be thirsty for all eternity. That's torment. In outer darkness. And that's why this is very sobering to us, isn't it? Because we know that heaven is real for you and for me. And it's going to be so glorious. And we rejoice in our salvation because Jesus Christ came and provided that for you and for me. But it's also very sobering to think that even as Jesus said, that there are many that will go down that broad road that will lead to destruction. And we know that hell is real. So we look at this and we see men being tormented. 
But the Lord's desiring for men to repent. They can call out at any time. Remember that in chapter 6, is the sky rolled up like a scroll, and they would see the one that sits on the throne. And it was men that had hid their face from the Lord and said, Hide us from the one who sits on the throne. And they would hide instead of repenting and turning to the Lamb. Now they're experiencing the wrath of the Lamb. In verse 7, we continue, The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. On their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and their stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months, you can see that it's going to be really ugly, and these demons are very ugly. These are not literal locusts. They don't have, you know, locusts, a face like men or teeth like lions or hair like women. Now, some have looked at this and said, well, this is nothing more, John, describing than a Apache helicopter gunship, you know, that belongs to the Antichrist. That's interesting, but uh, I don't think it fits in the details here at all. Men will be tormented. And then in verse 11, they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, destruction, but in the Greek, whose name is Apollyon, destroyer. So this is another indication that these are not just locust insects because Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27 tells us that locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. Speaking of the insects there in Proverbs, these are demons who has a king whose name is destructive and destroyer. Destroyer. Now, who is that? That's Satan. Because he comes to destroy. He's a murderer, Jesus said. He desires to bring destruction to you and to your family, to this church family. And I am realizing that more and more how the enemy desires to destroy and to deceive and to bring death. Don't give him a foothold in your life. And you be praying for your kids and for your family. Let's be praying for each other, for this church family. Because I'll tell you this, the enemy doesn't like it that Calvary Chapel Greeley is around. He doesn't like it that you're growing in the Word of God he doesn't like it that you're raising your children in the ways of the Lord. He doesn't like it that we're committed to the Word of God and people are growing and getting saved. He hates us. So he's going to work overtime in trying to get a foothold into our lives personally, into this church corporately. And we need to be praying and to remember that he brings destruction and deception. That's his name. He's a destroyer. In verse 12, one woe is past. Behold, there's still two more woes coming after these things. The worst is yet to come. In verse 13, then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. So we, we've talked about the golden altar. It's the altar of prayer, altar of incense, which was a representation of prayer to God. These four horns were at the corners of that altar. In verse 14, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound up at the great river Euphrates. So now there's four more evil angels that are chained up in the Euphrates River. 
these guys are bad news. The Euphrates River, of course, that runs through uh, that area of what is called Iran. It, it, in the Old Testament, Babylon. Um, it, it runs through, excuse me, Iraq. Um, you got the Euphrates and the Tigris River that runs through Iraq um, in the plains of Shinar. That's where Nebuchadnezzar put his image in Daniel chapter 2. That's where it's believed the Tower of Babel was built. It, it divides, they say, the east from the west. And what did these angels do? Verse 15, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, you remember that after the first four seals were opened up in chapter 6, that a quarter of man was killed. Now we see a third of mankind is killed by the sixth trumpet. That's about half of the population in the world that is gone. Notice once again, the day, the hour, the month, the year, these angels have been prepared for. This is on God's timetable. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would have been saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And as we continue now in, in chapter 9, verse 16, now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. An army of 200 million. Let's read on about this army. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinthic blue and sulfur yellow and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions and out of their mouths came fire smoke and brimstone by these three plagues a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke of the brimstone which came out of their mouths and for their powers in their mouth and in their tails for their tails are like serpents having heads and with them they do harm now the question is is this a human army or a demonic army some have looked at this and suggested that this is the armies of men, you know, possessed by demons. The description in verse 17 seems to hardly point to humans. Some have speculated that these are the armies of China. And, and the reason that they do, um, China and her allies, is because in 1965, any of you around 1965 reading Time magazine? Well, if you were, they had an article that China was boasting that they can put uh, up an army of 200 million men. So everybody at that time was turning to this text here in the book of Revelation and saying, this is what Revelation is talking about. You know, the kings of the east. And, and we know that when we read about the battle of Armageddon, um, that it's going to tell us how the kings of the east are going to come to Euphrates River that was just talked about is going to be dried up and they're going to come into the valley of Megiddo for that battle Armageddon and there's going to be great devastation but there's no reference to the kings of the east here in chapter 9 some have suggested that these four demons being unleashed out of the Euphrates river that some have suggested that they are the prince of Persia Greek, Babylon, Rome. And the reason that they think that is because you remember in Daniel chapter 10, I made reference to it, that it was Daniel that was praying and an angel comes after 21 days and says, Daniel, your words were heard from, heard from the first day and I was dispatched to come and, and, and to you with an answer, but 
It was the prince of Persia that resisted me, and Michael the archangel had to come and help me. And so we get some insight to the demonic world in that. that and then he says, I'm going to leave you, and, and there's going to be some more battle with the prince of Greece. So as the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, that the demonic world is, has ranking you know, fallen angels and demons. And just as we talked about last week, there seems to be that they're ranking angels, archangel, Michael the archangel, those who stand before you know, the throne of God, cherubim, seraphims of good angels uh, that are in heaven. So are there demons over nations? And the reason that some believe that this could be the prince, demonic prince of Babylon and then Persia and then Greece and Rome is because those four empires are mentioned in that vision of Daniel chapter 2. So that's just speculation. We don't know, but these guys are bad news. It has been suggested that perhaps that as we look at these, that it is describing to us in this chapter the beginnings of Ezekiel 38 and 39 in a nuclear exchange. We don't have time unless you want to stay for another hour. We can talk about Ezekiel 38 and 39. You see, Ezekiel 38 and 39, which we have talked a lot about, and we see those confederation of nations coming together that are going to be involved in a large invasion against Israel, we see them, those alliances being made right now. There's stage-setting events taking place that could lead to Ezekiel 38 happening very, very quickly. We know that Ezekiel 38 tells us that it's going to happen in the latter days, but we don't know the timing of Ezekiel 38. Some have suggested that it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period, and then it's going to lead to the battle of Armageddon. So that's one of the thoughts that are here. Chapter 16 is going to tell us of the battle of Armageddon, and it's going to be precipitated by three frog spirits. So chapter 9 here is not the battle of Armageddon. So we don't know exactly. We know that there's great demonic influence. These four come out, and, and that's uh, the sixth woe that, or the second woe of the sixth trumpet that we see. But here's what's amazing as we close here tonight. Verse 20, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither, neither be uh, neither see nor hear nor walk. In verse 21, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries, that's drug use, or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Sorceries, pharmakia in, in the Greek, drug use, is where we get our word pharmacy. Immorality speaks of fornication and pornography. These are amazing verses to me because how hard can man's heart be? That all these things are going on and they refuse to repent. They would not repent of their sins. Of idol worship, of, of drug use, of murders, of immorality and thefts. It is so true what John, what he wrote in John chapter 3. 
And Jesus, as he records Jesus saying, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. There are those who love the darkness rather than the light. And rather than repenting, they're going to continue in that. That is sobering to me. And what I hope and pray as I read this and I think about it, that we would pray that people's hearts would be softened. And we know that this is going to be a very, very terrible, terrible time, this judgment being poured out on a Christ-rejected world. But for us, as we go home tonight, as we think about it, we think, whoa, hopefully you'll sleep okay tonight. Because we got the peace of God. And the reason we got the peace of God is because we got peace with God. Because we belong to him. But that it would cause us to really think in eternity's perspective that there are people around us that they don't have any hope because the only hope is in the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is woe to them. So it should cause us to really, really pray for them. And, it, you know, as I go away, this is a little bit overwhelming for me. But it also tells me that we're to be about the things of the kingdom. We're to be about the things of the kingdom and have a heart for the loss and to be in prayer. When we gather next time, we're going to see that John's going to be told to eat a scroll, sweet in his mouth and bitter in his belly. And we'll talk about, as we go through the word of God, it's sweet to have the promises of the Lord, to see the, the comfort of the Lord, the truth of the Lord, salvation proclaimed to us, the gospel, the love of the Lord. That's sweet, isn't it? The promises that are ours. But then there's a little bitterness that's there too as we read about these judgments here. And I hope that it causes us to a more eternal perspective. Listen, folks, it isn't just about us. It isn't just about us. It's about us being truth and light and salt to the people around us. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for, Lord, going through this chapter that oh, it's heavy and it's hard to look at but it's written to us for our benefit and to remind us that eternity is real and that judgment will come. You will judge sin. And Lord, we are very grateful in this room that you took the judgment, your son, for us on that cross. And I thank you that we have the hope of eternal life and that we don't have the spirit of fear, but of adoption to where we can cry out, Abba, Father. That we have peace with God. That we have access to God, to the Father, through Jesus Christ. We have a wonderful future. I believe that you're going to come for your church before all these things are unleashed on a Christ-rejected world. And I thank you that we're going to come back with Jesus and rule and reign with him in the millennium reign. But we also know that these things will come to pass, even as John was told to write these things down. Because they will happen. 
they will be fulfilled. And may it cause us to have an eternal perspective. And may it cause us to be sensitive, to be led by you, to share with others. Lord, we don't want to go through life just about us and turning inwardly. We don't want to turn inwardly as a church, but we want to reach out as much as we can, every opportunity that we have to a lost and dying world. Because we also know hell is real and torment and separation from you, outer darkness. Jesus spoke more on hell than he did on heaven. And Jesus came so we wouldn't have to go there. So I want to pray tonight, just if there's anyone here, you are not right with God. You've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, a profession of faith. He is your hope, your only hope. And Jesus came to die for your sins, and he rose again, and he proved he's the Son of God, and he is going to come back. And he loves you, and he desires for you to come in faith to call upon him to be forgiven. For you, Lord, to sit upon the throne of their hearts as Lord and Savior. To have right relationship with the Father. If you've never done that, we want to give you the opportunity. Don't play around with with eternity. Don't play around with your salvation. It's the most important decision you will ever make. Today is the day of salvation. So in case that means anything to anyone who's listening, come to Jesus right now. Because this is real. And he's listening and he's desiring for you to come. And sincerely in your heart you can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I have sinned, but I believe you died for my sins. And I believe that your life speak into my heart, and I thank you for your love for me. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you that I don't have to have the spirit of fear, but a spirit of, of adoption as your son, your daughter. And I want to know you and walk with you live for you. And I thank you for eternal life that is found in Jesus Christ. Thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And if anybody did pray that prayer, is we have a prayer team up front, tell them of the decision you made. We want to bless you. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. But for all of us, as we leave this place, We want to leave being frightened. We want to leave rejoicing. But Lord, also having that eternal perspective. I pray you bless everyone here as we head into the weekend. And then, um, Lord, as we take some time off next week to celebrate the, the birth of our nation, we lift our nation up to you. We pray that there be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. There be a turning away from our sins. Lord, we need you and to turn back to you. And I pray that the church, not just us, but as believers, we would be a light. 
And Lord, that you would do work in our community, in our state, and in our country. So Lord, bless everyone here now as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.